please stand for the reading of God's word from portions of Nehemiah chapters 11 and 12. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the, ta- in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. These are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem. But in the towns of Judah, everyone lived on his property in their towns. Israel, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. And Jerusalem lived certain of the sons of Judah and of the sons of Benjamin. Of the sons of Judah, Athaiah, the son of Uzziah, son of Zechariah, son of Amariah, son of Sephathiah, son of Malahel, of the sons of Perez, and Maisaiah, the son of Baruch, son of Kohose, son of Hazaiah, son of Adaiah, son of Joyarib, son of Zechariah, son of the Shalonite. And the rest of Israel and of the priests and the Levites were in all the towns of Judah, every one in his inheritance. But the temple servants lived in Ophel, and Zia and Gishba were over the temple servants. In the days of Eliashib, Joiada, Johanan, and Jadua, the Levites were recorded as heads of fathers' houses. So too were the priests in the reign of Darius the Persian. As for the sons of Levi, their heads of fathers' houses were written in the book of the Chronicles, until the days of Johanan, the son of Eliashib, and the chiefs of the Levites, Hashabiah, Sherebiah, and Jeshua, the son of Kadmiel, with their brothers who stood opposite them, to praise and to give thanks, according to the commandment of David, the man of God, watch by watch. Mataniah, Babukiah, Obadiah, Meshulam, Talmon, and Akgub were gatekeepers standing guard at the storehouses of the gates. These were in the days of Joachim, the son of Jeshua, son of Josadak, and in the days of Nehemiah, the governor, and of Ezra, the priest and scribe. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the, su- and the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netophathites, also from Beth Gilgal, and from the region of Geba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates, and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate, and after them went Hoshaiah and half of the leaders of Judah. And certain of the priest's sons with trumpets, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zakur, son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Azarel, Milalai, Gilalai, Mai, Nathanel, Judah, and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the son of God, 
and Ezra, the scribe, went before them. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites, according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers. And they set apart that which was for the Levites. And the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. This is word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, G. It was another tough one this week, wasn't it? She did well. Thank you, G. Uh, Again, I'm Travis. It's good to be with you. Uh, We are continuing and starting to wrap up our series in the book of Nehemiah, uh, which is a book about the efforts to rebuild the broken down city of Jerusalem that had lain vulnerable and torn down for some 140 years, following God sending his people into exile after they walked away from him time and again and again until the only fitting consequence, the only way to bring them back was to actually let them go. And so now we have come in this book to the time that God has given them to start to rebuild, to start to repent, to start to come home. We've also been saying through this series that we've been calling a time to rebuild, that it's not just for them in the past, but it's, it's really something that's very uh, relevant for us now, that coming prayerfully out of a pandemic, going through so many economic, global, uh, ecological crises and challenges, uh, that it's certainly a cultural time for us to rebuild, to come out and to be renewed again, but not just as a society, but also as a church in the midst of our transitions that we have gone through, many different transitions. Uh, it's a time for us to rebuild. And we've been pivoting in this book, in the back half here, away from the, the structural rebuilding of the walls to focusing on rebuilding the people. And we're starting to see, as we focus in on rebuilding the people, starting from chapters uh, seven and even following, that 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 work, rebuilding the hearts of the people, is probably going to be the enduring, much more challenging work. That while it seemed from the outset like it would be really hard with a bunch of people who were not construction professionals to rebuild a wall, that they're actually seeing what's going to be much more difficult is to rebuild their hearts. That that's what led to the cause of the breakdown of the walls in the first place. The heart 
as we're going to see through the rest of this book, is the real place where miracles are required. It was the same then as it is now. We tend to think in our culture, in our society, that, that maybe some of the only ways that people might come to actually believe in God is seeing a fantastical, physical miracle. I want you to hear, Scripture wants you to know that those miracles are not as hard as the miracles of the heart. That seeing a life change, seeing someone repent for the first time that has only been hard-hearted for the entirety of their life, that is a miracle worth seeing. And so we enter into these last chapters. We are looking at those heart miracles, the change that needs to happen in the people. Last time we looked at how God starts to rebuild the hearts of his people through story how he works through the story of who he has been and the promises of who he will be, that he would finish the story for them, that despite their spiraling away from him, he would not stop chasing them down and stepping along on the other side to bring them back. But today we're focusing on the people being put back together by God, not just by story, but through several different means that we'll look at. And as they're being put back together, they are starting to look beyond the walls, beyond just their city and their place, to what they might do together for the communities around them. They're looking beyond the rebuilding of the walls. Now, there's so many things that we could get to uh, in these chapters this morning. Obviously, we have to stay a little more focused than that. But we're going to look at the people being put back together, being uh, reconstituted through risk, through roles, you could say work or purposes, and through being resurrected. So being rebuilt through risk, through roles, and through being resurrected. I know we're Presbyterians. I have three R's for you this morning. I'm sorry if you were looking for something more edgy and new than that, but that's where we are. Uh, Before we dive into these things, though, I'd ask that you pray with me. Let's ask God to fill up our time. God, thank you that you do that greater miracle that we might want to settle for a lesser miracle of seeing something fantastic happen before our eyes, but you would like to see something fantastic happen in our hearts. So we pray that you might begin to do that in hearts that are cold this morning, hearts that are angry, hearts that are frustrated, hearts that feel captive to fear or to pain or to worry or to doubt, that you would begin to unknot those knots, that you would loosen the cords and the strands, that our hearts might begin to relax into you, to rest in you, to be rebuilt in you, not just for ourselves, that our lives would be built on you, as the song that we sang during offertory this morning said, that our lives would be built on you, not just for us, but for the sake of the world around us. God, would you build us up to send us out? Would you do that through your word this morning in the ways that you and you alone can? Would you speak? Would you move? Holy Spirit, would you be here? In your son's name we pray, Father. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, feel free to have those open. We will move through the text a little bit. There is a lot of text, so we won't be moving through all of it. But our first point, being put back together through risk, is going to focus on large chunks of chapter 11 and chapter 12. Uh, We see chapter 12 beginning with a new future-oriented phase of the story, as we were talking about. They're, They're looking forward to what they might do as the rebuilt people of God, now in a rebuilt city of God. And they're thinking about how they might restart the worship life of this community for themselves and for the world around them. 
And Nehemiah shows us that, that first, this being put back together for a purpose beyond yourselves, this looking forward to, to worship and community life together, would still, even though the rebuilding is finished, it would still involve risk. And that would be true for both the leaders and for the people. Uh, chapter 11, verses 1 and following all the way down through almost verse 20, shows us that really all the leaders were going to live in the city. It seems none of the leaders were going to live outside the city. Others would live in their places outside the city walls, but all the leaders were going to come in to the city. And the city, if we remember, is still this point of seething anger and frustration from the people around it who did not want to see it rebuilt, who did not want to see this God there anymore, who wanted their influence to continue. We have no sense at this point in the story that the people who were trying to stop Jerusalem from being a place where you could know God, that they had stopped trying to do that. They are still angry. They are still scheming. They are still trying to tear this thing down. The threat has not gone away. So these leaders are taking a risk to stay there. They're taking a risk to move in, to lean into the vision of what rebuilt walls could do for sharing the knowledge of the living God with the world around them. That's what Jerusalem was for. That's why they are rebuilding it in the first place to be this hub of worship and knowledge of God where you could come in and experience him from top to bottom in society and see what life that revolves around God looks like. They're leaning in despite risk for that vision to go forward. And that vision would require them to take on risk even though the walls were finished, not to be done with risk just because the project was done. And that's also going to be true for us in our own rebuilding, in our personal lives, in our church life, in our, our communal life beyond these walls. For our leaders in particular, rebuilding, I want you to hear me say, if you're a leader in this church, if you're an officer, you're a staff member, you're one of our, our volunteers, rebuilding is not the end of our taking risks for God's mission. There is not an end point to our putting something on the line that others might come to know him. That end point is when he comes back for us or we go home to him. But in the meantime, the paradigm is that we continue to lean in to risk. We continue to take chances. The people are seen doing that here too. They take risks in being rebuilt for others through, verse 2 says, casting lots to see who, out of every ten people, would live in the city with the leaders. Who, of the representation of the people that live there, who would take on the risk with the leaders to live in, populate, see this city uh, thrive and be flourishing because the leaders could not run or protect the city alone. It just was not possible. More than that, the city would not be flourishing and come to life without anyone living in it without it being an actual place where there was a vibrant community life together. You can't keep the place of meeting God and knowing God vibrant without the people of God. I'm going to say that again about CTK in particular. You cannot keep CTK, our church community, a vibrant place of knowing God without the people of God. 
If you're not going to be here and be invested, if you're not going to be present and call this place home to lean in, to take some risks, to sacrifice some things, this will not be a place where you can vibrantly know who God is. We're not given that option as Christians to have someone else do it, to have someone else show up for us. We have to lean in and take some risks that not just we might be blessed through that, but that others might be blessed through that. We have to put our, our, our stake in the ground to commit in a new way to having this be a place of vibrancy. And that's really what these people are doing. I talked this morning about tithing as a risk. They are essentially tithing from their population. A one out of 10 formula, 10% was what God called his people to give financially. 10% is what they are giving of their population. The people were taking the risk of tithing their lives. They are putting a tenth of them in the pot, so to speak, with the leaders. They're taking that risk to make God known. And again, the threat is still real. But in giving this tithe of their lives, they are showing that despite that threat, they have actually found something more. They found something more than just peace and security or comfort in bringing this city back to life. They found something bigger than themselves bigger than their own personal fulfillment, bigger than their own careers, bigger than their own enjoyment. They found something that can hold the fullness of what their lives need. They found a vastly greater life in community with God, and they have found the vision that calls them into sharing that something greater with others, that they might not settle either, that we might not settle for just a comfortable life. Our culture is calling out to us to settle for, to work hard for just a comfortable life. A life where you don't suffer. A life where you don't eventually have to work that hard. God is inviting us into something more than just a comfortable life. Because a higher life with him will call us to godly risk, to continue to face challenges even after we build because that's why we rebuilt in the first place. Jerusalem was not rebuilt to just be for itself. It was not given to God's people to ever be just for them, but to be for others, to be moving out towards others, to be a light to the world. And the same is true with us that our personal spiritual life rebuilding, and this actually helps you rebuild your spiritual life. It helps you pray more. It helps you read more. It helps you be more in community to know this is not just about what will benefit me. This is something that will benefit others. There is something on the line for people who are not me in me coming back to being a rebuilt whole spiritual person. It gets us beyond ourselves. Beyond the point where I say, I don't really feel like reading right now. I don't really feel like praying right now. It gets me into the vision of saying, this is about more than me. And I don't want to let them down. I want to offer something to them. I want to take risks. And yet rebuilding calls us not just to risk, but to find our uniquely given roles. That's where we're going to turn to our second point here, being put back together through roles. Again, we're looking at broad sweeps of chapter 11 and chapter 12 here. The people are back. 
They're resettling in the specific places that God gave them some thousand years before this time. Uh, Chapter 11, verse 20 says, the rest of the people, that's beside the leaders, besides that one out of every 10 that was living in Jerusalem, live in what it says is their inheritances. So those are the specific places that God gave them for each tribe, for each group, even for each family, places where they were given to know God and to make him known. They are back in the very places that he gave them to do exactly that, places they had lost because they didn't care to know God or make him known. Yet now they are back in that place. Despite who they have been, God was faithful and gracious in bringing them back to own, to live, to dwell in the place that he had set before them after slavery, after genocide, after brutality, after 400 years of being treated not like people but like a possession. God gave them this special place to be their inheritance, to have an identity and a dignity, and they squandered it because they didn't care about who God is. They didn't want to know him, but God did not stop caring about them. They are back in their inheritances. And as the people begin to resettle in the place that God gave them, begin to look around and think about how their families have lived there for hundreds and hundreds of years, how the good and the bad has taken place there, how God has been faithful through it all, they start to recover who they were meant to be in that place. They come back, in other words, to their role as the people with the unique privilege of knowing God and making him known. That's why they were in this place again. That's what they were meant to do in the first place in these inheritances to be now put back together as God's broken down, messed up people to show now, just as they were meant to show before, to a world equally broken down, equally messed up, that this God is for you too. This God is for you when you are broken down and messed up. This God is for you when you have walked away from him, when your family has walked away from him for decades, for centuries. This God is for broken people. This God is for people with problems. This God is for people who can't because he can't. This God will bring you home. That was their role, not to be perfect. And I want you to hear that. Your role here as part of Christ the King is not to be perfect. This is not a place where you come in and you leave your sins at the door and you only show your best face. No, it's actually through seeing our ugliness together, through seeing our brokenness, that this becomes a place where others who are broken can find the healing that they can only find in Jesus Christ, the healing that we are always meant to find in God alone. Don't hide your brokenness here. God doesn't need you to do that. He wants to work through your brokenness that others might see that, yeah, I'm messed up too. And God is actually still there for me. It's not a clean yourself up and come to church. It's just come to church and be cleaned up. It is not 
clean yourself up and come to church. It is not clean yourself up and come to community group. It is not clean yourself up and start serving. It is come as a mess and let us see that God still works through messes, through brokenness. And each person, each people group has a unique way of doing that in our text. We're going to bounce around a little bit. In these chapters, we see everyone playing a part as these ambassadors, these witnesses to who God is through the unique ways he has given them to be in their place, through their jobs, through their roles, through their giftings. We see lots of different roles to play in knowing God and making him known. We see things like pastors and elders and ministry staff represented in the priests and the city administrators that were working there in chapter 12. We see things like government workers, uh, managers, and the chiefs of provinces and city administrators. We see work like teachers. Ezra was a scribe. The job of scribes was to teach. The Levites were also teachers. It was their jobs to instruct people in who God is. We see offices like deacons, people that were appointed over the resources of God's people to faithfully administer them and care for people. We see healthcare workers. Priests were in the medical field in those days. We see artists, singers, choirs, musicians are featured largely in this. Through the arts, people come to know who God is. We see volunteers, just random average people, one out of ten. It didn't say they set apart all these special people who knew how to do all these things in the city, and then from that pool, they picked ten. It just said randomly, as if right now I just picked one out of every ten. You didn't have to have special gifts. You could just be average and play a role as someone who is volunteering, even children. Chapter 12, verse 43. Kids, you show up here. Kids were moved by God to rejoice, to help the people know how to celebrate what God had done for them. Kids, I want to say to you, we we need your spirit here. You are important here. There is something that you know about celebrating that we have forgotten as grown-ups about celebrating, that we have lost how to just be joyful. God knows that you are joy experts, and we need your joy here among us. Kids, you have a role to play in showing people what God is like and showing them that he is a God of joy who knows how to laugh and delight and play. You help us rebuild too. In these things, everyone had a role to play in knowing God and making him known in their place. Now, I don't want you to see this and think, I didn't hear my line of work mentioned. I didn't hear my particular role or gift sets mentioned. I want you to think, where can I play a role? Where could my gifts have impact here? Because it seems, if we look at this text and if we understand the system of the city and the people of God, which is different than ours, right? There, there are some differences. There's not a parity. There's, there's similarity, but differences too. That no one in that system was left out of playing a role. Even the people who weren't in the city, who weren't one of the ten, they were giving their tithes and offerings to support the work of the city in knowing God and making God known. Everyone from top to bottom had a role in seeing the city of God come back to life. The same is true for us here. There is a place for you here. There is a role for you to play 
here? What will your role be? What part would you play? What voice will we be missing if we don't hear your voice? What gifts will we be lacking if we don't have your gifts? What presence, what wisdom, what even brokenness will we be missing that we need to see Jesus Christ through if we don't have you here? If you're not all in with us. We need each other. God has meant us to be a community of people to show what he is like. It's in everyone finding their role that a burned down city, that a devastated people like the people of God are put back together, brought back to life as a whole, as a group. We all have a role in bringing our world back to life and bringing our, our communities back to life and bringing ourselves and our church back to vibrancy, to seeing it alive again. and brings us to our last point that we see the people of God being put back together and the world around them being put back together through resurrection. And we're going to focus on chapter 12, verses 27 to 47 in this we see through the celebration and dedication ceremony that Nehemiah leads, starting in verse 27 there, that the city is genuinely, legitimately coming back to life. Uh, we see the leaders and the people and the gates and the walls are all purified. In verse 30, they regain through that a holiness. They are set apart for the work of God. The people are commissioned again to be alive in this place as God's people. There are choirs, two choirs that go around the city singing the praises of God from top to bottom and around and around in verse 31. The city regains a voice. It says the rejoicing of the people of God could be heard from far away. The city is starting to speak again about who God is. Trumpets, cymbals, harps, and lyres are playing as they go. The city regains a sound. It regains a sound of vibrancy. In verse 40, the procession goes from the walls into the temple, praising God, connecting the walls, the rebuilding effort, back to the heart of what this is all about in the first place, back to God. The city regains a center. In verse 43, the people offer great sacrifices, returning to the work and worship of God. And we see that even more in verses 44 and following, that, that the city regains not just the work and the worship, but the support, the material things it needs to keep doing that. It regains the means it needs to have a vibrant life. This ceremony gives us a picture of a city that was dead coming back to life, being resurrected. The emptiness, the, the death of exile was finally being overturned. And the nations that did not know God in the absence of this place were being given a place to know God again. The dead were being given back to the world that had lost them. This is really, uh, to me, a society 
wide picture of what Jesus did on a very microscopic scale, on a one-to-one scale, when in the city of Nain, in Luke chapter 7, he raised the son of a widow, the only son of a widow. In verse 12, it says there, as Jesus drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he came up, and it says he touched the bier. He touched where this dead man was being carried. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And it says the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. After an irreplaceable loss, the loss of an only son in a society where sons were a key to your future going forward, especially if you were a widow, Jesus gives a life, a future, back to a family that has no future, where there had only been pain and fear and loss. And here we see God giving the world a widow in its own right, uh, bereft of the presence of God through the separation of sin, through the absence of a presence of the people of God, God gives the world back its only son. The only normal chance it had at that time for a future with him, the city of Jerusalem, the place, the people where you could know God. God gave the world to find a real uh, a future and a flourishing through this city. And in, and in giving that city back, that city that was once dead, God is, God is raising up the dead, these people, this city, not just for their own sake, not just for their healing, but for the world to know him through them. God was raising the city back up from the ground, not just so that they could be whole, not just so they could have predictability and stability and peace like we talked about in the beginnings of this series, but also so that others could know him through them. God is rebuilding Jerusalem because he so loved the world. Not just because he so loved his people. God's love is like a fountain. It overflows. It's not just a reservoir that gathers into itself. God doesn't stop where we would stop. His his vision goes beyond our vision. He wants more than we want. God was rebuilding Jerusalem not just because he loved his people, but because he loved those who were not yet his people. This passage acts out what John 3.16 says so famously, right? What what athletes put under their eyes at football games. Uh, John 3.16 says that for God so loved the world that he gave that he would give something to see the world be brought back, that he would give something to save it. But what John's gospel shows us more clearly is how much God would give to save the world. This passage shows us God giving a lot, giving a people a lifeline back to a world that did not know him. But John's gospel shows us how much more God would give, that he wouldn't just give a city for people to come and see who he is, to come and know God. Yes, that was good. Yes, that was a starting point, but God was not ending there. God was not just giving a city in the end to save us. He was going to give 
a person. Ultimately, he would give himself. He would send the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, not just to go and tell the world that we need healing, but to actually heal us. The Father would send his Son not just to show us what paths lead to life that the prophets had done before him, but to be the path of life itself and to put us on that path when all we can seem to do is wander farther and farther away from it. He would give us not just a a representative to come and keep a distance and tell us what's wrong with us like a judge, but but to go himself to be the face-to-face message of reconciliation and peace and resurrection to take the risk to put himself in danger that we might be brought back from death to life. And not just those who knew him, but those who didn't know him, to be able to call a people who were not his people, his people. This is what he gave us in Jesus Christ, an only son given for the widowhood of the world given to die in our place when we were dead so that no matter where we're from, no matter what our family is like, that our ruin and ashes, that our sin and separation from him, that what ultimately tears us down and keeps us from being a flourishing people, that that might be put to death in him, nailed to the cross there with him, that who we were, this burned down city, might forever be put away. And in his resurrection, we, like the city of Jerusalem, might be raised up, might regain a voice, might regain a sound, might regain a presence and a peace and a power that in Jesus Christ, what was dead in you is put to death in him and what was alive in him comes by the power of the Holy Spirit to fill you with a life that cannot be contained. That's what he gave because he so loved the world. An only son. That's what reconstituted the people and the city of God back then. That's what reconstitutes us now. That's what we are meant to show as the rebuilt, put-back-together people of God, that God makes what was once dead alive in Jesus Christ, no matter how dead it was. And he does that, not so that we would owe him, not because he needs something, but simply out of the deep, deep love for the world. A love that would move God to save you at great cost to himself. See the love of God for the world in Jesus Christ that would give back to a widowed world an only son raised to life. That in that, that widow might have life again. As we close here, I just want to invite you to do one practical thing based off of this. I want to invite you, as I think the text calls us into, to play your part here. We each have a unique part to play in God's kingdom coming to life here in our time and place, in Cambridge and the surrounding areas. There is a role for you to play. There is a part for you to play here. You matter here. No matter how insignificant or average you feel, no matter how small, how young, how old, how tired you feel, there is a role for you to play here. I want you to think, what is my role here? 
I invite you to ask someone that knows you well, what do you think my role could be here? What are my unique gifts? What are my resources that I can bring to bear here for this place coming back to life through the life that I have received in Jesus Christ? How is that, that life that he is living in me now by his Holy Spirit, how is that going to move out beyond the walls of just this person to the community around me? How is it going to be that the joy of the Lord that is in me now through his salvation gets heard far, far away? I want to encourage you Think of one gift that you could use here. Or think of one aspect of your story that could be powerful here. Think about one way that you could play a role here and related to that, one risk that you could take to live into that role in the next month. That 30 days from now you could say, I have somewhat of a sense of a role I could play here and here's a little bit of a risk I'm taking to do that. Whether the risk is feeling embarrassed, that I, I'm uncomfortable serving in this way, I'm uncomfortable being in a community, I'm not sure how to get back into this. That take a small risk, take even a half step to start moving towards these things, recognizing that God is going to meet you in that risk. That ultimately he is the one who moves through you. That it's by his spirit that you are now alive and that he wants to use even the difficult parts of your story, right? Back in your inheritance, back in the place where everything fell apart, he wants to use your story that others might see who he is. It's okay to not know what to do next, to not have it all together. This is what the church is meant to be for, to be a place where you can say, I don't have it all together. Think about what that role could be for you, remembering always that it's God who gives you the strength to do these things, who goes with you into the risk by his Holy Spirit alive in you now. Let's pray. I invite you to take just a minute with the Lord here. Talk to him about the things that he's put on your heart through this. Thank him for for loving the world in a way that would give up something so dear to him just for you. Or to confess the ways that, that you've wanted comfort more than you've wanted to be rebuilt, more than you've wanted to be for others. Or just ask him to, to bring you back, to give you the strength to take risks. Let's talk to him for a moment. God, we pray that you would hear these prayers and answer by your grace that we might be a people who are truly rebuilt. In your name we pray, amen.